Shabbat. Tonight's topic is about Shabbat. Because Shabbat seems to have, for most Jewish people, the opposite effect of its original intent. The intent of Shabbat was one of faith, one of tranquility, one of inner peace, one of a positive oasis of time, family, connection with God, and it seems to be, for many, a tiebreaker in their social life. Could cause a lot of family anguish. Children want to go out Friday night as they get old enough to ask you for the car keys. Seems to be something went wrong with Shabbat. So tonight's topic is going to be Shabbat. You saw the invite went out. Are you struggling with Shabbat? Why this week? Because if you read the opening Torah portion, and interesting, this week actually, and parenthetically speaking, is a huge week in the Torah world because since Passover, the fact that our last day of Passover was on Shabbat and Israel doesn't have that last day of Passover, so we were not in sync with our reading of the Torah portion. We read the Passover portion, they read the next week's portion, and we've been behind ever since. Last week they read the portion of Bahar, which I'm about to talk to you about, and this week they're reading Bechukotai, and we are doubling up Bahar and Bechukotai. So this week we'll actually, all over the world, be saying Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek, as we all finish the Torah portion, uh, the book of Leviticus, the third book of Moses, the five books of Moses. With that being said, in the portion in Bahar, which we're reading this Shabbat all over the world besides in Israel, they'll only be reading Bechukotai, but in the portion of Bahar begins with the sabbatical year. And in the sabbatical year, which is a reflection of the Shabbat, obviously it carries different, different laws, but it is called Shabbat, the year of Shabbat, the sabbatical year. So I want to talk about it because the Torah portion itself, the Torah, God himself, puts our worries into words. God asks a question. He doesn't just state a fact. God asks the question that lies within the heart of every Jew, and then he gives the answer. He doesn't just say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. He says in the verse, in this week's Torah portion, and if you will say, how will I provide? Sabbatical year is a big problem. In the days of old, and up to pretty recent, agriculture was a source of income. So there's a huge issue here. You know, if you talk to someone who's into computers and telling him, by the way, that backyard where you planted some tomatoes, don't do, don't just don't touch that this year. Hey, that's cool. But you tell a, a nation that primarily lived off agriculture. You know, what there was a tribe of Zvulun, which was in the import-export. Other than that, the land of Israel boasted itself by agriculture. And you tell such a nation that you should allow the land, just leave it. Don't, don't touch it. And it gets a little sticky because there's the last work of, this, of the sixth year, which is running into the seventh year. And then there's the produce of the beginning of the eighth year, which is coming from the seventh year. So you really can't really do anything until you start planting and sowing the ground and doing the whole stuff on the eighth year. So until Sukkot of the eighth year, you can't really even enjoy so you're dealing here closer to three years than one year. 
and the Torah takes that into consideration. Worry. Not only that, I actually stood by a Fabrengian where the Rebbe spoke about this concept. And the Rebbe asked, why are you worrying about? Seven years ago, you went through it and you survived. So not only is the Torah taking consideration human nature that we worry, our mind is put to ease by the laws of nature. The laws of nature dictate, he who shall work shall reap and harvest. And all of a sudden that's being taken away from us. We're being asked to have faith. That's one step of human nature, God's taking consideration. It isn't like the dictator, well I told you, don't ask questions. God's allowing questions. He's actually quoting, repeating our question, letting us know that he understands our question. Well, not only that, the Rebbe emphasizes the difference in Jubilee and the sabbatical year, which is not tonight's class. But the sabbatical year talks about the lower level of trust, that the fact that you survived it seven years ago does not give you peace of mind for this seven years. We're still worried. Now let's take that to the Shabbat that we deal with. I mean, we, we deal with the laws of the sabbatical years in Israel, agriculturally-wise. It's a huge issue. But let's talk about it in the, in the weekly event that we have, Shabbat. How many of us are worried financially because of Shabbat? It's a simple equation. Many of us have businesses where Saturday is the biggest day of the week, whether it be in retail, whether it be in open homes for real estate agents. I mean, it goes on and on. You know, letting people know that you can't reach me from Friday sunset until Saturday night nightfall isn't uh, the best PR for our businesses. That's on the business front. And like I mentioned before, there's the whole domestic issue. But dad, my whole class is going out. Everyone's going. And that begins a whole huge issue to lay down the law of the land. Friday night, you're with us by the Shabbat table. What happens on Shabbat in the middle of the day? We've got an issue here, an entire day, until you develop a very keen appreciation of reading books. Shabbat can become very difficult for someone who's starting to become Shomer Shabbat. And then you get all these amazing questions, but Rabbi, if I set the television on a timer, are you allowed to change channels if it's already on? These are serious questions I get asked. And that's simple. Shabbat becomes the exact opposite of peace. Now for a moment, even though this is the Garden of Amunah class, I'd like to use this opportunity to also talk about a different topic when we talk about inner peace. Most of us do not like quiet. And the reason why we don't like quiet, even though we crutch about, oh, if only I can have a day of peace, a day of quiet, is because when everything else is quiet, you're kind of stuck facing issues that we run away from, such as ourself, our family relationship, our relationship with God. So uh, we enjoy noise. I read a biography of someone, actually it's the guy who, uh, who created um, Cirque du Soleil. Not a biography for the week of heart. But he actually, in the bag in the book, he writes over there, he doesn't write it, someone else, that he pops up the music in his car, the music's blasting. And the only reason why the music is blasting, he admits, is because he doesn't want to hear his thoughts. 
He just doesn't want to hear it. The doubt and the this and the that. So, you know, drown it out. And Shabbat becomes a problem for us. In, in paper and writing, it seems so beautiful. It's what we're yearning for. We're so busy like the hamster in the, in the rat race. And uh, we all dream of, if only, most of us will tell us that well, I can't keep Shabbos because. And really the one big because is because we can't stand the peace and quiet and silence in our life. We've actually learned to depend on the noise in our life so that we don't have to deal with the real underlying issues in our life. So I will suggest that when someone is keeping Shabbat and they're asking me whether they can put the TV on a timer and they do this and that, it really is time to sit down and question. If you're keeping Shabbat and the issue isn't the financial and the business and the this and the that, we need to ask ourselves if we do turn on the TV before Shabbat and we don't change the channel and it's going to be playing the whole Shabbat, are we running away from what Shabbat really is all about? True, granted, you didn't do any work. Most rabbis will tell you you can't play the video because of a law on code of Jewish law called Uvdin Dechayl. You shouldn't be doing mundane things on Shabbat even if you're not desecrating the 139 works of Shabbat. But putting that aside, which is all true, but the underlying fact of why we shouldn't be doing Uvdin Dechayl is because Shabbat has something to offer. And it isn't just the absence of work. It's rather that the absence of work and staying away from mundane works on Shabbat is just cleaning up the mess and turning down the volume so that we'll be able to hear what Shabbat has to offer. And that's something to think about, guys. It's really something to think about if the peace and tranquility and the clearing up of all the noise of Shabbat is actually causing discomfort, you may want to visit that and ask why. With that being said, let's talk about an interesting concept. The Torah portion begins in a very weird way. Shabbat is the seventh day, not the first day. Yet the Torah portion begins with the verse of the sabbatical year. Then it goes back and says, six years you shall work. In parentheses, like a horse. No, I'm kidding. But there's six years you shall work. And then it goes back again. The seventh year shall be the year of Shabbat. So in the process of the Shabbat, whether it be the annual cycle or be the weekly cycle, one is left to ask, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it first Shabbat and then six days a week you shall work? Or is it first six days a week you shall work and then you'll have Shabbat? In the simple story in Genesis, it's very clear that first there was the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, with a clear description of what God worked on each day. And then, we finished the work and now Shabbat. So if you read the plain, simple story in Genesis, it seems to be very clear that it's not the way it reads in this week's Torah portion. It's not first the sabbatical year and then the six years, or not first the Shabbat day and then the six days. It's rather first the six years of work, the six days of work, and then the year of Shabbat and the day of Shabbat. 
Yeah, the mystical teachings, it talks about the primordial Shabbat, the one that happened before God created light. Just to take it on a idealistic psychology approach. What is the purpose of Shabbat? Most of us who do keep Shabbat see Shabbat as a day of replenishing energy for the upcoming Manic Monday. Most of us can't wait to Shabbat. We're going to rejuvenate and then Monday we're going to come back to work all fresh. Then there are those who understand and appreciate that I work all week to make my Shabbat glorious. For to quote our sages, he who does not work on the eve of Shabbat, Friday, does not get to eat on Shabbat. In our sages, the teaching of our sages, we find two dynamics to Shabbat. One, one dynamic of Shabbat is as Shabbat is the seventh day, the day in which asuya. If we go back to creation, we know that God created in six days, and yet often we talk about the seven days of creation. Why do we talk about the seven days of creation? Because there was something that was not gifted to this world until Shabbat came. And to quote the exact words of our, our sages, came Shabbat, came inner peace. Ba Shabbat, ba menucha. So all six days, everything was put in place. According to Rashi, everything was created the first day and later fermented and put in an appropriate position on its appropriate day. And then came Shabbat, and Shabbat finished it all. Why? Because before Shabbat came, it was a frustrated... Mm, complexity. It was a frustrated bunch of pieces that each fit together but never bonded as one. It's like the person who wears many hats and comes to a point where they don't just think they're wearing many hats. They start feeling like they're being ripped to pieces because they have many heads. And that begins to just rip apart at their whole inner being. I've got, so, got to be a father and I've got to be a provider, and I've got to be a husband, and I'm a son, and I'm a brother, and I do this for a living, and it goes on and on and on. And I start becoming very drained. How many people can I be? That's what the world felt like the first six days. The first six days, it was just frustration. Each piece, and you know that in every single piece of creation, there's a paradox. That's the secret of creation. To quote the Chinese proverb, no light is complete without a shadow. So everything fundamentally is a paradox. From the very first conception of creation, where there's the paradox within every creation that it carries infinite and finite. Your apple tree is finite, and yet it carries the infinite within the seed, which will go on forever and ever planting apple trees. And this goes on on all levels. Every single creation struggles with that frustration of a paradox. And that keeps on happening over and over and everything. So forget about different pieces not getting along with each other. Each piece in itself 
is fighting within itself because in itself it is a paradox. So all you had the first six days was frustration. Ba Shabbat ba menucha. Came Shabbat came peace because all of a sudden everyone realized and everything realized within itself and amongst each others that greater than our details of separation is that bond of unity, of oneness that we all represent for we all are many different faces to one God. <coughs> Shabbat offered that inner peace. So in this teaching of Bo Shabbat, Bo Menucha, in this teaching at Shabbat is the day in which everything that you struggled, everything that was finite in capacity of, of the human work of six days gets the Midas golden God touch of Shabbat and everything becomes complete. Then you have another dynamic of Shabbat which we learn now from the mana. We're taught that the mana did not fall on Shabbat, but it's only because of Shabbat that we got mana for the next six days. Friday, a double portion for seven. So here we're seeing that Shabbat is not the culmination, elevation, refinement, completion of the previous six days, but rather Shabbat is the source, empowerment, making possible anything that is to happen the next six days. And without Shabbat, the next six days just would be a total flop failure. There would be nothing happening. So on a spiritual Kabbalistic dimension, you see two faces to Shabbat. Not only that, but based on a very beautiful teaching from the first Lubavitch Rebbe and another Maimah explained by our Rebbe, blessed memory, we talk about Eile told that Noach, Noach, each tzaddik, these are the offsprings of Noach. Noach was a righteous man. And that verse is bothersome. There's no word in the Torah extra. It did not have to say twice Noach. It should have just said Eile told that Noach, each tzaddik. Why does it say Eile told us Noach, Noach, each tzaddik? Zohar picks up on it immediately and Zohar says, Noach is Shabbos. Why? Because Noach means to rest. As the Torah says concerning Shabbos, Vayonach. So this Noach is the Shabbos. And why does it say twice? Because there's two dimensions of Shabbos. There's the lower Shabbos and the higher Shabbos. Friday night is the lower Shabbos. Shabbos by day is the higher Shabbos. Shabbos by Mincha is for all Kabbalists the greatest moment of all. It's called the secrets of all secrets, the will of all wills, because that's where the two meet and go to a higher level. But let's leave level number three, Mincha, alone for right now. Let's talk about the first two levels. Friday night, when we talk about rest, we're talking about rest as the absence of frustration, worry, work. So Friday night, what we're asking of everyone is, stop, shed what you went through the last six days. There is a beautiful, glorious moment for every Chabad rabbi around the world, when Shabbat begins and there's nothing the bank can do. Or actually, let me say that the other way around. There's nothing we can do. <laughs> Whatever is, is. I actually saw this. I have a family member who Friday, unless you had a death wish, you really stayed out of her way. You walked into the house. You were going to get screamed at, put to work, a mop shoved in your hand. And no matter what you did, you were going to get screamed at. Literally, we used to sneak out from the side door in New York. We used to come up, I slept in the basement, 
you should slip out of the side door because you did not want to meet this woman on Friday. Yet, Friday night, as she lit her candles, this is a fact, this is something I dealt with every week. It didn't make a difference if the entire bowl of salad as you walked to the table fell and we had to get back to work. I say we, <laughs> no, it wasn't me. But what would happen is that no matter what, there was just a peace upon her face. There was nothing you can do to get her frustrated. That's the only woman, it's my aunt, it's the only woman I've ever met that physically embodied that experience. I've never seen it by anyone else. I've never seen anyone be so manic, dangerous on Friday, and I've never seen anyone light candles and it's over. It's just over. That's Friday night. Friday night isn't about entering into peace as a positive, rather it's leaving go, it's, it's the negative, and I don't mean negative, when we talk negative we always mean like bad. Now I'm talking about, you know, in art, there's two ways to draw. There's drawing the positive or drawing the negative. For those of you who have dabbled with art, there's a great book out there, drawing from the right side of your brain, and because that book is based on that the left side of your brain always gets in the, world in the way of art, because the left side of the brain is methodical, analytical, and if you're gonna draw a table, your left side of your brain knows that every single size of every leg in that table is equal, all four legs are equal, and if you draw them equal, your right side of your brain knows that you're not gonna create depth. So the right side of your brain is saying, no, you gotta draw the back two legs shorter to create depth, and the left side of your brain is saying, you're out of your mind, go measure them, they're all the same, how can you draw one shorter than the other? In order to help you with this process, she comes up with great ideas. One idea is turn a picture upside down. It confuses the left side of the brain. Another idea, which is why I got into this conversation, is don't draw the positive, draw the negative. So if you're gonna draw that chair right next to you, don't draw what's actually there. Draw what's not there. And by default, what are you gonna end up having? What is there? So if you draw a, say, a square for the hole in between the back and the seat, and then you keep on doing that, you're gonna end up having everything there. You follow what I'm saying? So when I say negative here, I don't mean negative as in not good. I mean void, absence. So there's the positive of Shabbat and then there's the negative of Shabbat. The positive of Shabbat is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the negative of Shabbat where all Shabbat is the absence of worry. So you're being commanded Friday night. Doesn't make a difference that you just left your office and things are up in the air. You're not gonna know now until Monday morning if the other guy did or didn't sign the contract. You're not gonna know if the bank did or didn't make the deal. You're worried, no, it's Friday night. Doesn't make a difference that all Friday you were manic, putting everything in place, and then comes along this shlamazel nephew and dropped your salad. It's Shabbat. So one, one concept of Shabbat is do not. Do not worry, do not work. Just don't do any of that. Now like in art, if you don't do any of that, automatically what are you left with? Peace. Because if you're not worrying and you're not working, then what are you doing? You're peaceful and you're resting. That's kind of what Shabbat's about. Shabbos morning is a different dimension of Shabbat. It's the positive dimension of Shabbat. We're not worrying and not working, so by default, being restful and peaceful is not enough. There actually is the positive experience 
of rest, peace, and Shabbat. So I was struggling as I'm preparing the class. How do we explain this? So let's talk about this. There are marriages where you don't fight. So if I would ask, is that a peaceful marriage? That's a peaceful marriage. You're not fighting. But is that the art of marriage? So there's two parts of it. There's the negative, and I don't mean negative and bad. I mean the absence of anything which we would call rocky. But that's not the positive. Friendship, relationship is not that we don't kill each other, we don't fight with each other, we don't hate each other. Which is also a huge step in the 21st century. Where racism, bigotism, everything is just prevalent. It just defines 98% the human race. But not hating and not fighting and not whatever isn't what peace is all about. It is peace. It's peace as in the absence of war. But it's not peace as in the blessing and grace of peace. Then there is a relationship which takes on the positivity of a relationship. Not just the negativity as in the absence of not good. Shabbat has to offer the same thing. So first is a struggle Friday night to let go. You know, I told you before, I'm going to be starting to give video classes on the 12 steps. In the 12 steps, you have let go, let God. Which is huge. Friday night is let go, let God. There's nothing you can do about it. Let go, let God. That's one stage of Shabbat. But that's drawing the negative and by default, you're going to end up having a glimpse of the positive. It's not dealing with the positive. Let's talk about this in one more level. I spoke to you about it in, in the dimension of Shabbat. I spoke to you about it in the dimension of relationships and marriage. There is being in love and there is not being in fights. Let's talk about it in the dimension of Teshuvah. Because Shabbat, in the works of Kabbalah, the word Shabbat actually spells out the letters to the word Tashev. Shabbat and Teshuvah work hand in hand. There are two types of Teshuvah. There's a weekday Teshuvah and there's a Shabbat Teshuvah. In the weekday Teshuvah, there's tears, there's remorse, there's pain. In the Shabbat Teshuvah, the law concerning Shabbat is en etzivbo. There can be no depression, no sadness in Shabbat. So Shabbat, you have to do Teshuvah, but you can't be crying. So it's actually called the higher dimension of Teshuvah, which is a Teshuvah driven by joy. Let's talk about two dimensions of Teshuvah. One dimension of Teshuvah is realizing how bad what we did was. And that brings us down to our knees, figuratively speaking, and has us return to God. So what's happening in that Teshuvah is we're dealing with the negativity again. The absence of the relationship I had with God. I was so far from God. I was so far from my human image. How much more so my divine image. Then there's another dimension of Teshuva, which is really all about Simcha. It's really talking about focusing on how much God loves me. 
I share this with you once before, I'll share it with you again. The famous story of the two Jews. One was of Hasidic persuasion and one was not. The one who was not of Hasidic persuasion, what did he do on Yom Kippur? He sat down, he took Yom Kippur seriously, and in his, in his mind, he had 26 hours to relive 354 days, to think of everything he did in the past year, to make sure there isn't a single sin that he didn't think of and undo through the world of Teshuvah. So there he is at the beginning of Kol Nidre, going into his own world, his private holy of holies with God, and he's going through everything. Oh my God, I remember last year, right after they blew the chauffeur, and I went to eat by the uh, break the fast, I was already talking gossip about how the guy next to me wouldn't shut up during the whole services. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Two minutes after God forgave me, I was already talking Lashon Hara. And then from there, it only gets gorier and gorier until he reaches the point where he just breaks down and says, oh my God, how? And he does teshuva. Then there's the chassid who actually begins the process of Yom Kippur by starting to think through that one Hasidic mimer he learned that talks about what it means when we talk about the smoke filled the Holy of Holies. And the word smoke in Hebrew is Ashan. Ashan is made out of three letters, Ayin, Shin, Nun, which is an acronym for Olam, Shana, and Nefesh. Olam is the world, space. Shana is the year, time. Nefesh is the soul. And that's what takes place in the Holy of Holies as the high priest, the oneness of soul, enters into the Holy of Holies, which is the oneness of space. And it's on Yom Kippur, the oneness of time. And he thinks about what that is when you get in touch with that oneness within your soul, where everything is about the oneness, the connection of Yechida, that oneness of God, that oneness of time, that oneness of space, that oneness of the Jewish soul, which all three are inseparable, and all four, and they become one. It's actually three because time and space in the world of Kabbalah depend upon each other. They're really two faces of one creature. And what happens over here is that when you think that way, and then you start thinking about the relationship, you think about God's love, you think about what we've been learning in Tanya the last couple of days, those who keep the annual cycle of Tanya, how God the infinite purposely put himself through contraction into finite so that there could be space for the finite creature and that the finite creature can have some type of nurturing from the infinite God on a finite level so it can really be one. And to think about all that, to think about what God goes through, and here I'm going to share with you something very, very important. The smaller man in a relationship doesn't have an affair because he's afraid of getting caught. The bigger man in a relationship doesn't have an affair because how could I desecrate this relationship that she offers me? It's two different dimensions. One is focus on the punishment of sin. What would happen to me? The other one is not. He's not living in a back alley in the sewer system wondering what it would be to have to deal with that. Rather, what is he living with? He's living with the beauty of the relationship and then asks himself, how could I desecrate that? Take that which I just told you and put it into Yom Kippur. When you spend an entire day realizing the uh, amazing, infinite, unconditional, non-judgmental love 
that God offers us day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, then what are you worried about? If God's going to catch you sinning and what the punishment's going to be, the shame, the guilt, the suffering, or is the outcome of such an amazing meditation, starting with Kol Nidre, lead to that breaking point of, wow, how could I ever have desecrated that relationship? And thus you do teshuva for what you experienced, for what the sins that you did. So now we're talking about the same message here. There's two levels. One is the negative. One is focusing about the distance, the emptiness, the animalistic, the shameful, the guilty. And we're trying to shed that and do teshuva. But then there's the other teshuva, which is built on the positivity, living within that unbelievable, compassionate, unconditional embrace. And then ask, how could I? So you'll always find these two dimensions. There's the lower dimension and there's the higher dimension. And thus we have in Shabbat, in the world of Kabbalah, we have the Friday night and we have the Shabbat day. I'm not going to pull out a siddur right now and show it to you, but if you remember on Shabbat, we always sing a song in all, th all the Amidat. Remember that? What's the word after V'yanuchu? You said what? Va. Very interesting. Friday night it's Va. Did you ever look into your siddur what it is Shabbos morning and Musaf? And what is it by Mincha? Vam. Friday night it's Va, feminine. Shabbos morning it's Voi, masculine. And then as I told you before, Mincha is when they both come together, it becomes Vam, plural. They're different dimensions. So, question. Are you struggling with Shabbat? Because if you're struggling with Shabbat, you got stuck in Friday night. Because Friday night is that struggle to worry or not to worry, to leave go or not to leave go. But what happens if? But, and that's when all you're worried about Shabbat is Monday morning, so you really never experience Shabbat. And even if you're not worrying about Monday morning, because you are Shomer Shabbat on a deeper level, so you're not only not doing anything, you're not even worrying about anything, but there's that struggle. And in the struggle of leaving go, you're still struggling. It's interesting. This week, I was reading a hearing. We had a discussion about withdrawal. And the withdrawal takes as much energy as the sickness itself. So you're all drawn out. We're talking about an addiction. So in an addiction itself, you just totally rock, you know, you're bottoming out because it's just, oh my God. But then you realize that as you work the steps, that withdrawal takes as much energy or maybe even more than the actual process of the addiction, the actual the sickness. And you got to hold on very tight until you get past withdrawal because then you get back all the energy but in a positive way and now you can move on. So withdrawal is a very, very painful process. Friday night can leave you wiped out. If you're sitting by the table 
picture this. I mean, let's make this practical. Let's not get all woo-doo-doo-doo. Let's be serious here. So you're really worried because there are some things that you finish Friday and you won't know until Monday morning. And then you remind yourself, of course, like every good person, after it's too late, you remind yourself that you could have done this better and that better and you forgot to tell this person. Will that person know by themselves? And and, and, and and then you say, no, 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 Shabbos, Shabbos, die, die, Shabbos, Shabbos, Kodesh. No, but you were, imagine that fight. By the time you walk away from that Shabbos table, you're wiped, you're drained. That process of, of, of leaving go, that tug of war, don't leave go, leave go, don't leave go, leave go, don't leave go, leave go. By the time you finish that, <laughs> you're wiped. You had more energy Monday night when you came home from work than when you walked away from your Shabbos table. So if you're struggling with Shabbat, you're not really allowing yourself to experience Shabbat. And now, don't get me wrong, Shabbos doesn't start with Shabbos morning, it starts with Friday night. We need to go through that struggle. You need to shed the mundane garments before you can embrace the Shabbat garments. But if all you have is that struggle, then Shabbat is really draining, difficult, it taxes your faith, it's doubt, and that's what happens in this week's Torah portion. And this week's Torah portion is the difference between the sabbatical year and the jubilee year. In the sabbatical year, we embrace the question. God embraces the question. And if you will say, now if the Torah says, if you will say, as good Jews, we're going to say. Because even God says, if you're going to say. So we are worried. How are we going to provide? How are we going to deal with the, the ramifications and outcomes of Shabbat? And then there's the answer, the next verse. And the next verse says what? I will give the sixth year the blessing that you need to, to provide for the next three years. And then the Rebbe, as I said, mentions that what? The next sabbatical year, we're back to the same question again. Well, being that we live in the age of speed, we don't wait seven years. We don't even wait seven days. About a half hour where I really told myself, it's going to be okay, it's Shabbos. I'm back with the question, but what if it's not okay? It's going to be okay. Yeah, but. But then there's the Jubilee, which is the higher Shabbat, because in the Jubilee year, which is an extra year, you have year 49 and year 50 to deal with, and the Torah doesn't mention the question. Why not? Because Jubilee is the higher Shabbat. Jubilee is not the struggle. It's not the struggle of to leave go or not to leave go. You know the Jewish answer to the, the famous Shakespeare question? To be or not to be? You know the Jewish answer? Yes. It's both. We constantly struggle with that. I am, I am not, I am, I am not. I'm worrying, I'm not worrying. So Shabbat, we go back and forth. And then there comes a point of the Jubilee year where you let go, not because you're fighting with the weekdays, but rather you're embracing the higher dimension of Shabbat. And that's when Shabbat becomes a source of faith. When we really sleep off Friday night, went through the struggle, worried, didn't worry, worried, didn't worry, 
Our mind went back to the office. We pulled it back to the Shabbos table. The conversation went to politics. We pulled it back to Shabbat. It happens by every Shabbat table. It does. Every Shabbat table. You struggle. Guys keep on varying the conversation. Before long, you invited two people to your Shabbos table. They both happen to be in real estate. And you might as well be at a real estate meeting. You're not at a Shabbat table. And you cough, and you cough once, and you cough twice, and all of a sudden you quickly ask the person on the other side of the table, so you have to talk loud. So what did you learn about this week's parsha? So if the guests are kind, they do stop for five minutes. If they're not, <laughs> not kind, they didn't even hear you ask the question. It's a struggle. Friday night is a struggle. No one dives from a manic week into the Shabbat just like that. My aunt had this magic. I don't know. I don't know what she did. The rest of us don't do that. There's an unwinding time. But then comes Shabbat morning where you go to shul. And this is what I really want to talk about right now to close up the class. Shabbos morning, you go to shul. And when you come to shul, there's a miracle that takes place in most synagogues. Those who walk in last are always the ones that are looking at the clock trying to be out first. Because the whole Shabbos shul experience is something we have to do and get out of our way. But then there are those that do come a little early, and they come early purposely. Because you know what? Before I dive in, let me sit down and read a little bit about the Parsha. Let me get into the groove, into the mood. And they're the ones that are upset. Rabbi, why are you rushing? Slow down. Slow down with the Enkelakenu song. Slow down with the Oleinu song. Rabbi, slow down when you read the Torah. We want to hear every word. But then there's the other guy who, if I don't speed up, I'm going to lose him, and he's my 10th man, and I can't continue reading without him. We always got that struggle. Because some people never experience the higher dimension of Shabbat. They want to get in, they want to get out, and siesta. That's the one law that they learned about Shabbat. Isn't it true, Rabbi, you're supposed to sleep on Shabbat? Yes. Do you know how thick the book and Talmud of the laws of Shabbat is? you know how many pages there are? <laughs> how come most Jews only know one statement <laughs> of, of the entire book? Shinne b'Shabbos Tainuk. I think I'd like to suggest, try this for the next four weeks. If Minyan starts 9.30, be here no later than 9.10. Or whatever your appropriate shuls are. And when you come to shul, try to be the geek that doesn't get into a conversation. Oh my God, I love that top you're wearing. Where'd you get it? Try to be the one who sits down with a book. And let's look up. What is this Torah portion about? And when you do go ahead and listen to the Torah... Do go ahead and read on the English side. What is it about? And when you do the prayers and the songs, and you like the songs, let go. Enjoy the moment. And if you find a certain prayer that for whatever you're going through this week is talking to you, spend a couple extra minutes there. You have that famous prayer, I lift my eyes from where will come my salvation. Here's some beautiful stuff. I mean, then when you read the Hasidic explanation to what this is, I mean, it's just unbelievable stuff. Try it. 
Not one week, four weeks. Try it for the next month. Try to experience Shabbos morning, not just Friday night. I'm going to ask you something else. In every shul, at least in every Chabad house that I know, I'm assuming other shuls also, there's a Kiddush in Chabad house, they call it a Fabrengen, where you sit around the table and you don't rush home. A little bit of filter fish, a little bit of uh, cholent, conversation kicks up. Spend, spend the extra, wow, hour, would you believe? I had the audacity of saying that. Spend an hour by the Kiddush. Connect. Connect with your community. Connect with like-minded people because the people sitting around the table with you are also here not to run away. Have conversation. Share. And then when it comes to benching, actually sing the whole benching as, as an entire community. We're not racing to do that either. Watch what's going to happen. Watch that all of a sudden, everything you read in the holy books and everything the rabbis promised you, oh, you're going to keep Shabbat, you're going to be rejuvenated. Most of us didn't even know what that means. Yeah, the rabbi, yeah, spiritual people, they, they get rejuvenated. We're sitting on spilkes. You know what that means in Yiddish? We're sitting on pins and needles. Try it. Try to see what happens if you stop struggling with Shabbat. By Shabbat morning, 9.30, you should have already come to terms that there's nothing you're going to be able to do about anything you're worried about until after Shabbat. So let's stop struggling whether to worry or not to worry. And come. Come a little early. Do your own personal meditation. Do your own personal reading. Experience the prayer. Hang out for the Kiddush. Enjoy the conversation. Put something into the conversation. And then sing the benching. Watch the way you're going to get up from that table. It's a beautiful experience, Shabbat. If we allow ourselves to go to the second Noah, to the second dimension. If we agree to stop struggling. If we agree to wake up Shabbos morning, Shabbos stick. There's something special about it. There's a reason why the law says that every table has to have a white tablecloth on Shabbat, even if you're not going to eat on it. There's a reason why my grandfather would literally have conniptions if I brought a homework or any book to the Shabbos table long after the Shabbos meal was over. But I used the Shabbos table as a place to read or catch up. I'm having a big test on Sunday. There's a reason. There's a reason why you have to ask permission before you left the Shabbos table. There's a reason why my personal grandfather wouldn't let me take off my hat and jacket when I sat by the Shabbos table. It's not dinner. It's Shabbos meal. It makes it happen. It makes it happen if you're willing to go there. And that's the higher dimension of Shabbat. That's where Shabbat becomes a source for the week to come and a much higher dimension. It gives you faith. It gives you courage. It gives you that intimacy you're looking for in your life. It allows you to give love. It allows you to share love and have love. It's just a beautiful experience. It starts with Hashem and you, moves on to your family. It's just really beautiful. So try it. Practical homework. Try for the next four weeks 
come wherever shul you're going to, come early. Sit down and do some reading. Enjoy the prayer. If the one next to you is sitting and talking, don't get upset. Get up, move away, go to a different place. If you're sitting down by the Kiddush table, yeah, don't worry. There's usually enough food for everyone, even if you're not the first one to load up your plate. Just be chilled out. Hear the Kiddush, wait for the Kiddush, wait for the Hamotzi, sit down and enjoy the plate, eat fish and salad. You're not allowed to put a meat chone together with a fish salad, so take your time. Have course number one, sit and talk. Nothing wrong if you start a little song that catches on by the table. Go for the second course. Sit and talk again. Do the benching. Just enjoy it. Good job, people.